When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Pabst Blue Ribbon. Always smooth, always refreshing. Gold medal winner at the 2016 Great American Beer Festival. When you're this good, quality always comes through. PBR Me. ASAP. Welcome to another episode of Matt and Judd's Hockey Adventure. Matthew Collar and Judd Zolged with you here. Very disappointed, two of us, who are a little bit stunned that the Minnesota Wild are down three games to none. Judd, this is just not what we had in mind when the Wild started the playoffs against the Blues. Uh, when, when the playoffs started, the main national storyline involving this team, of course, was Boudreaux and could he win Game 7? He's 1-7 in Game 7. And I said, that's not the story here. The story here is the deep playoff run that the Wilds are about to embark on. And now we are, um, we are Game 4 away from the Wild season being done. So, no, I would say disappointing would be an understatement. Let's talk about who's to blame for it then, because Bruce Boudreaux does have the reputation for not being very good in the playoffs, though his overall record isn't bad, right. but he's got that terrible record in Game 7s and many disappointments from very good regular season teams. He's kind of the maybe the Andy Reid of uh, hockey with many, many good regular seasons, yeah. very frustrating postseasons, lots of early outs, and... So with this series, though, I don't know how much that I want to say is on Bruce Boudreaux because I feel like his team has played very well. So I want you to tell me where you put the blame for them being down 3-0. And I'll give you your choices. Okay. You get Bruce Boudreaux. Okay. Jake Allen. Okay. Minnesota Wild forwards. Okay. St. Louis Blues giganto defensemen. Yep. Who are all nine feet tall. Yep. Um, I would actually start off this whole thing by saying it's way more credit to the Blues goaltending and defense and a name that you didn't bring up, Mike Yo. Mike Yo, to me, knows this wild team inside out. He knows their personnel. And I've been saying, more importantly to me, he knows their personalities. He knows who he can wear down and who will start to give up and who can do this and that and who can't do this and that. So I would say if I was if I was starting a list – of reasons why the Blues lead this series going into game four, three, nil. Uh, I would start with the credit to the Blues, starting with goaltending is one atop the list easily. Blues defense, the Blues have given up a lot of shots, and Allen's made a lot of good saves, but I, I would argue the Blues defense, which is huge. In fact, I think their smallest defenseman playing on a regular basis is six foot two. 
They've done a good job of boxing out the wild. And and if there are pucks that get loose in front, the wild forwards don't get a great chance to get at those. So Blues defense two, or actually three, yo two. Um, it's going to, I don't, you know, Matthew, the Boudreaux question to me is a good one. I don't know how much I blame him. I mean, his team has played well. They've got a ton of shots. Uh, we can we can fault Dubnik for the first goals in games uh, two and three, but Dubnik's ag- giving up on average two goals per game. And if I had told you at the start of the series, Dubnik's going to give up two goals per game, I think I think you say I'm buying. That's why I didn't even put him on the list. Yeah. So, but, but to me, I mean, the Boudreaux question. I don't look at this series and automatically say coaching. I might look at it and say wild players a little bit more so. Um, but I don't think it's fair to point the finger at coaching based on the fact that if you strip away the disappointment so far, the Wild has done a lot of things effectively. So what's your ranking? How How do you rank? Um, I rank Allen 1, Yo's Game Plan 2, Blue's Defense 3 as as good things for St. Louis, and if I want to uh, start to add some fault to it, I would say the Wild's forward's inability to get to the net – at times, uh, offensively, would be the start of my blame game, and that would rank for. The interesting thing to me about the Wild outshooting the Blues so badly and not winning is that the Wild did not win throughout this season by outshooting teams. They weren't the Kings who always seemed to win the shot differential and control the puck and hold it in and play a plotting-style game. They played a counterpunch game. We talked about it, that that was one of the things that some of the analysts were concerned about, that they didn't have that shot differential that many of the teams that have won the Stanley Cup have had. And the reason was that they love to play in transition. And I saw a statistic from Mike Russo that uh, came from a very good site, HockeyViz.com, which is an analytics website, Mm -hmm. that they had only taken three shots off of the rush. And that is not their style. Their style, we talked about this with Miko Koivu and that line with Zucker and Granlund, win the face-off, get moving through the neutral zone, get on the rush, create mismatches, have Granlund create with speed. Granlund has not been able to create with speed. It's more of he's been working in the zone, they've got the puck, they're moving it around, they're taking shots, but that was not how they played through the regular season. They played for one shot at a time when they would get in the zone looking for a cross-ice pass or something like that, as opposed to now where they're playing, where they're taking a bunch of shots, the puck is staying in the defensive zone of the Blues. That's just not their style. Now, with that said, when you take so many more shots than the other team and you control the puck that much, you should be able to put some pucks past the goaltender. And I don't know... If I how much I want to give to Allen and how much I want to give to wild forwards just not beating Allen. Because usually when these forwards are they have skill and when they're taking this many shots, they should beat a goalie unless he's just out of his mind hot. Which he has been at times. But yes, I, I agree completely. To me he's clearly number one. I agree with you though, I don't even know if it was on my original list with Mike Yo. But Mike Yo forcing the wild to play a different way than they're used to playing, I think deserves some credit. I give a lot of credit to the trees, the big defensemen for the blues, not allowing second chance opportunities. That's been a big thing. Mm-hmm. I also put it on nobody stepping up and making a play. Sure. Now this was one of our biggest concerns when we were talking about this series was 
will there be a player who steps up and says, no way, we're losing this. I've got it. I'm taking over this series. Granlund, clearly not that player. He is just not that guy. He's not Sidney Crosby. He is not Anzi Kopitar at times in, in uh, those series that the, the Kings won. He's not Pavel Datsuk. He's, he is just a decent player. But they have this has been the problem since they signed Parisi and Suter, that there has not been one guy who could step up and take over a series and make sure you stay in it when you need that one big win. And they didn't do it uh, the other day. It was that's where I was thinking at some point someone's going to step up, someone's going to make the play, but this team just lacks that elite player. Oh yeah, and Granlin has looked worn down for a month now. Granlin, in fact, in fact, their last game uh, against the Coyotes, I was glad that, that they sat him because Granlin, to me, uh, towards the end of the season, looked worn down, and he still does. Coyle has decided the last two games to try and be the, the guy that, that you're talking about, but his regular season was so wildly, no pun intended, inconsistent that I don't think that you can just be that guy. I think you need to be that guy consistently. Um, but, yes, the Wild has long had this problem, which is there's nobody in that room who can take over the boys. This is how this ends. And a coach can come in and try and do that, that type of thing all he wants. It doesn't work. It's got to be a player, right? They don't have that guy. Um, but to me, so if, if you want the snapshot, the perfect snapshot of this series through three games so far, it's game one. Because in game one, Allen was faced 52 shots, stopped 51. And, and the reviews were all unbelievable. He played great. And he did play well. But you know what he did in that game? Gave up a lot of juicy rebounds consistently. I'm talking about he caught the puck at one point collar and basically dropped it. He dropped it by accident. Those are the type of plays where if you're going to, if you're a team like the Wild that's going to set a tone, you're on top of those pucks. But what happened? The Blues defense cleared them all away for the most part. So game one to me is very intriguing because it's it set the tone for Allen's play and performance, but it also was a game where rebound-wise, you had an opportunity to score, let's say, three ugly, ugly goals, and in almost every one of those chances, you didn't do it. And that was the bad luck game for me. I'm not sure the other two games were bad luck or great performances by Allen. One bad first period and one bad penalty also costs you, and that's a little bit of playoff hockey. But that first game with... Parisi knocking the puck accidentally away from his own goal. Yeah, he stopped on his goal line. uh, Charlie Coyle's stick breaking, and like you said, the puck popping up out of Jake Allen's glove and nobody putting it in. There were opportunities there. In the last two games, it's felt like it has just been... I... I really hesitate to say defense in front of the net because when you're getting so many shots that are that close and not scoring, I give a lot more credit to the goaltender. Uh, the statistical website Corsica Hockey, if anyone's ever played around with that, has an expected goal stat, which is based on where you shot from, how many scoring chances you had, things like that. How many goals would you expect to have scored in games? Just at even strength, not sure. the power plays. And so the scores of these three games should have been so two and a half to one and a half on average in the Wild's favor. <laughs> that uh, It's supposed to be an indicator that tells you were you playing better than the other team? And even though there's all that stuff that we mentioned, nobody really stepping up when they should, and the coaching differences, the different style of play that the Wild uh, have been using, 
it still comes back to you've outplayed the other team and you've been robbed here, and that's why it's just been frustrating, I think, for everybody because how are we supposed to really analyze this team as far as what it means? Not even... I mean, not even just this series, but like what it means in the bigger picture of how we look at the wild. Because sure. I heard a caller of yours uh, talking about, well, it's the same old wild. I saw it coming. Well, it really isn't. But how do you get that across to people? It really, this is really not the same old wild. It's, it's not, but it is. If that right. makes sense. Yeah. Uh, but but to me, to me, you don't. When this series is is likely done, either Wednesday, Saturday, when this series ends. And Fletcher and Boudreaux sit down. I think what they need to look at is the big picture of two things. One, they signed Parisi and Suter on July 4th, 2012. And I believe since then they have won two playoff series, both first round. Uh, The other thing is, I believe, uh, so they beat St. Louis in the first round in 2015 and then played the Blackhawks and got swept in in the next round. I want to say the combined record playoff record of the wild and series since that since the Blackhawks sweep is something like two wins and nine defeats or something so so while I think it'd be a mistake excuse me to just get caught up on this one series I don't think it's a mistake to look at the big picture of your lack of playoff success and say what do we need to do what's wrong here and to your point too caller you do need to look at the fact that if you look at the wild and playoff series now there's a pretty consistent pattern of not being able to score goals right like if if it's just this if you had scored four three or four goals per playoff series and now you ran into Jake Allen and you get shut down i sort of get that that's that's not fine but it happens but you are going to have a pretty big snapshot now of a lot of series in which you walked away saying Corey Crawford got us uh now Allen got us okay well at some point in time that also falls on your goal scores and that's where it comes down to the one big player who can step up and dominate a series and can take over and can score. I still come back to the odds of this entire thing happening. Like when you have such a good percentage of the goals that you score during the regular season, when you were one of the most uh, effective offensive teams, when you had very solid uh, power play. And that's another thing that yes, the blues have a good penalty kill, but the power play of the wild has just not had, I don't want Luck always comes across the wrong way, but it hasn't had the hot streak. And, and usually, in game three looked incompetent. Yeah, it did. Yes, and that's but that is often how power plays go, where they're either very high or they're very low. It's usually nowhere in the middle. It's it's like a power plays are like a hitter who has a great April and a terrible May and a great June, and it, we all know those types of hitters, right? Sure. And that at the end of the year, you go, oh, they was a three hundred hitter, and for four of the months he was great, and for three of the months he drove you insane. Um, and that's the same way power plays tend to work just over the, the long haul. And who knows if one's going to be good or not uh, just in one series. Sometimes the worst power play in the league clicks in a series and is fantastic and no one knows why. Mm-hmm. Right? That's just how it works. So all of these things, if you take what they produced in the regular season, it was a much better team. You look at top to bottom, it was a better team. You look at with Bruce Boudreaux coaching, so many players were much better than they were before. I believe in all of those things. So that's when it comes down to, in the playoff series, you should have had a much better chance to score more than you did in the past. Sure. Because the bigger sample says you're a better team. 
And when now, if we only get four games, we're left with a lasting impression of four games as opposed to what the bigger sample really says. Mm -hmm. And that's frustrating because you do want to say, well, you've got to find this. You've got to change that. You've got to trade this guy. You've got to acquire that guy. When really, if this was the type of regular season production you put up, I would take it again because you've got a really good chance with that level of a team to make a deep playoff run. So you are you are stuck, good or bad, with um, Koivu for another season, I believe, which would be the last year of his contract. Parisi, Suter, uh, perhaps Pominville, don't know there yet, but Stahl. So here's my question. You have a core, you have another pretty good young core group of players, especially forwards coming up here. So let's simplify this conversation and let's take it. Let's go through a few players, because if this guy is as re- good as he showed at times, he's special. Grandland, mm-hmm. what do you do? Because I don't think this this conversation is not a do we blow it up conversation because a you really can't. Mm-hmm. And B, I don't have a desire to trade my my young guys in mass. But when it comes to a guy like Grandland, who's about to get paid, by the way. What do you make of him? Because at his best, he can be great. But I'm telling you now, for a month or so, he's disappeared. Well, there's a very, I think, compelling case to move someone like Granlund after they've had their career year. If you've decided that this player can only take you so far and he's only so good, then you want to move him when he's hot. Now, I'm not saying you trade... Granlund, but if you can't afford him because of what he's going to demand from the point production that he just put up, then maybe that should be in the back of your mind. That's the decision that's going to be tough for this team is where you know that you've got a group of forwards and young players and veterans who are just hanging on to enough to still be effective to put together a team on the ice next year that looks almost the same and can be very, very competitive, can probably win the Central Division next year. Be right there. The Central Division will probably be dominated for a few years by Nashville, is the way it looks like. If I'm projecting forward, Dallas will bounce back. Nashville's going to dominate. And it's a weird league anyway. Yeah, yeah. But just looking at who's got the young players, I'd keep an eye on Winnipeg, too, if they change coaches. Their coach is a disaster. Paul Maurice. He keeps getting jobs, Matthew. I think he's got like six playoff appearances in 20 years. He's coached Carolina twice. He got the Maple Leafs job for a while. Unbelievable that he's still a head coach. But but with their young group, though, Patrick Laine, Mark Scheifele, oh, oh, they're coming. But but for at least next year, if you put the same exact group on the ice, maybe you have to trade Brodeen or something because of the expansion draft, you're probably guaranteeing yourself a shot at being at the top of the Central Division. So when you're having that conversation between Bruce Boudreaux and Chuck Fletcher at the end of the year, do you say, well, should we react to what just happened and try to figure out a way to get ourselves someone who can score in the playoffs or move out some of these bodies who have been here for a while and haven't succeeded or have a team that we know is going to be competitive that we're still unsure about whether they can actually step up in the playoffs? A, not B. A, A, you've been... In in the NHL, to me, if you it makes no sense to be to basically say how can we be as successful as possible from the months of what September through March, April. Um, I want a team that can make the playoffs, but I also want a team that's geared around one thing: postseason success. And I would say, 
that the menta- the mentality of the of too many players on this team is not what you want to see in April and May, right? I mean, you would you would like to add, and with the, this has been a conversation about the the uh, wild for a long, long time. But you would like to have, I think, a room that has a, a I don't know, younger stall, for instance. I mean, he's older now, but when he was at his best in Carolina, that's the type of player. The problem is it's hard to find, and I think when Fletcher uh, pulled the trigger on, on the Hansel trade, I think he saw a player that he was convinced would get to the playoffs and contribute, which he has not as much as they were hoped for. But if the conversation is, okay, we had a nice season, how can we improve on that? Matthew, I think the conversation has to revolve around how can we really improve on that when we get to the playoffs. Pabst Blue Ribbon is always smooth, always refreshing, and the perfect choice at the game or out with friends. And now, add gold to the great PBR tradition, because Pabst Blue Ribbon was awarded the gold medal for American-style lager at the 2016 Great American Beer Festival. That makes four gold medals for PBR in the last 11 years. Not bad. It's that gold medal taste that has made Pabst Blue Ribbon a Twin Cities favorite. When you're this good, quality always comes through. Go for the gold. PBR me ASAP. So a buddy of mine created last year a statistical model based on how a team's did in the regular season on the more key and predictive factors that would point toward who's going to win. And last year his model did extremely well. Uh, his model this year actually predicted Nashville to, to beat uh, Chicago. Of course, it also predicted the Wild to do well and Columbus to give Pittsburgh more of a run than they have. Hmm. Uh, although Sergei Bobrovsky has not been no. what he was before. In the regular season, he's going to win the Vesna, and in this series, been a disappointment. and really in every playoff series of his career, yep. he's been a disappointment. But in this model, the Wild went into the playoffs as a favorite to represent the Western Conference. And if you told me that next year, by this pretty good model and by many other models as well, that they would have a good enough regular season to put themselves at the top of the list for likely teams to represent the West with this similar roster, I would have to take that, wouldn't I? I mean, wouldn't I have to say, but my, but, yes, but my point is put, this, get, put me in a position yeah, but where, uh, because eventually that's going to work out. The issue with with your your friend's model is really, really simple. And this is where hockey gets goofy personalities become key factors like if you if you look at the wild statistically and as far as talent goes they don't have a superstar player but you look at the depth there and you say to yourself this is a really good playoff model right because they are they seem to be um there's a lot of things about this team that if you just project what the personnel does on the ice you're gonna say you know what that's good hockey though is a weird sport and and the one thing i mean the Blues, the Blues game plan has been, to me, so solid. And the amazing stat, perhaps the most amazing stat of this entire series, is the Tarasenko stat. If you had told me at the start of this series, Wednesday night when the series started, that three games in, Vlad Tarasenko is going to have two assists and no goals, I would have said, Wild's in great shape. Heck, it's probably three-zip Wild. And yet it's three-zip Blues, and Tarasenko has had two assists – and in game one, I saw him a lot on the ice. And the last two games, Collar, he's been there, but it's not like, oh, my God, he, he's been great. So that's where hockey gets goofy to me. It's why I like it, and it's why it drives Mackey up the wall because <laughs> the common sense of hockey doesn't really exist. 
Well, I would say this about the personality point from uh, the guys who are in the locker room is you could have said the same exact thing for the San Jose Sharks. Yeah. That year after year, same guys. They didn't make a lot of changes. And they went into many playoffs as one of the statistical model favorites to represent the West. And my friend's model had them last year representing the West. And they ended up finally making that happen. So if you're going to put out a very, very good team year after year after year after year, the odds are in your favor that eventually it clicks and you make that run. Now, here's the difference. They have Joe Thornton, who is one of the greatest players to ever strap on skates. and Who they also stripped of their captaincy before they actually made their which, playoff run, and it changed the dynamic of the room enough that it, it, that, that sort of worked. That's what's goofy about the sport. Yeah, well, that's that goes for funny narratives, too, because at the time that they stripped the captaincy, it was like, oh, what a disaster that team is. They're going to fall off, and then they end up in the Stanley Pavelski, Cup final. right, became captain, and yes. Pavelski, everyone loved him. Well, but that, the difference, though, is that Thornton, as they went to the Stanley Cup final, had one of his best years of his career, even yeah. though he was older. Now, this year, he didn't. Yeah. He started to fall off. But he had one of the elite seasons. He had an argument last year for Hart Trophy, if you look at by the numbers. And there is no player on the wild that plays at his level. When I don't think Thornton now is as good as he was even last year or at his prime. But there is no player that plays at that level. Sure. There's no player that plays at the level of Brent Burns in terms of being a dangerous offensive defenseman. I, Spurgeon is great, but he's not on that level of Brent Burns. They don't have the 40-goal score of Joe Pavelski. It's that high-end talent that tends to really do it. So the question would be for me going into this offseason is do you try to figure out a way to acquire one super high-end talent player somewhere, somehow? And you can't say they never come available because Taylor Hall and Shea Weber slash P.K. Subban all got traded last year. Sure. And... Has anything worked out better than the Weber and P.K. Subban trade for both sides? That's been great. The contract for Weber is brutal, and it's a terrible move because of that. But Subban is right at home playing with Nashville with all these great defensemen. They play up-tempo. And Weber has brought this toughness that Montreal really lacked for quite some time. They Wild-like. They, well, they, right. They lack the toughness. They lack the leadership. And also power play, uh, he brings something that's you know, terrifying mm -hmm. for opponents. So it worked out for both. And I wonder about the wild with something like that of you've had this, you've tried this, you got one of the best coaches in the game to try this. It still didn't work out. So is there a Granlin move there or is there a move with one of the defensemen to move them out, to bring someone else in defensemen have really big value on the trade market uh, much higher than forwards because right. they're harder to replace that would be my question, is when you look around, is there someone like Granlin who you know has very high value and would be sought after if you put him on the trade market just to make a change there, to get a different skill set in or something like that? Because other than that, you can't sign a bunch of free agents. I mean, there's, you're just not going to have the money to do it. I was going to say, and if you traded Niederreiter and Granlin too, you can't get too big a superstar back. Because of the cap. The cap's not going up. I mean, where this right. team is completely hamstrung, and I won't criticize this because at the time I thought it was great, but the Suter and Parisi contracts cripple you. And, hey, on, on July 4th, 2012, I was 
all on board. I was driving the bandwagon of this. This is the biggest free agent day in the history of pro sports in this state. You know, they just got two elite players. This is great, blah, blah, blah. But now you do look back and you say to yourself, okay, even if you make a trade, you've still got the Koivu contract on your books. You've got the stall contract, which actually is not bad. Parisi contract is brutal. Suter contract is brutal. So I don't even know to make the type of trade that you're talking about, which would be great to see. I don't even know that they can do it because the salaries they'd be trading away wouldn't match the incoming superstars salary. And this is where the problem lies. And this is why it's so bad that Parisi's play and he's got two goals in, in this series. So he's played well, but Parisi's play overall is declining because now you've got this huge salary cap hit on a yearly basis and it ain't going anywhere. Yeah. And the thing that was really nice about this year was, okay, so you've got these absurd salaries, but you've got a bunch of guys playing on their uh, first RFA deals. Correct. And the first RFA deals for Zucker and Niederreiter and uh, Granlin were really great. I mean, in terms of your value for what you were getting. Because they had signed, what, Koivu? No, I'm sorry. They had signed Coyle Coyle, and Brodine, I believe, to extensions, Mm -hmm. which weren't bad, but but got them on multi-year deals. So I think you're right that those three were still on those RFA deals. Yeah, yeah. Which... and all of those deal. all of those contracts from last year for what their contract was versus their production was amazing. But now when those RFA deals come up, like Granlund, and he's still an RFA, but now you're he's just coming off of a career year. So now you've got to really pay him. Yep. And then what do you do otherwise to fill out the rest of the roster? So that'd be your case for uh, making trades, I guess. But that's the t- to me, that's the tough position that they're going to be I would in. do it if I could do it. I don't know if you can do it based on the fact that the cap, because of the fact that the league doesn't get much, you know, I mean, if if this were, were basketball, you'd be fine because of their TV deal. The cap jettisons up every, you know, it goes mm-hmm. up every year. But I believe that, that they're talking for a second consecutive year about maybe a modest bump. <sighs> so a modest bump leaves you... With your current guys up against it, basically, which well, is not good. When you only have 487,000 people watch a game on national TV. Don't get me started. We'll, we'll, you really want to go ahead. We're, we're going to spend a whole episode just straight up complaining about how bad the NHL and we has should, done. And we should business. because I think, people, I think people listen to people like us who love the sport and they're like, oh, you just, you know, you think it should be this and that. No. No, this sport is so horribly run from on the ice with its lack of bleeping uh, rules that they don't that that aren't clear to your TV point. It's awful. The fact that um, Connor McDavid is just finally on TV now at the end of the year, too. But that long list of things we can get into. I do think, though, I go back to, um, you know, the writer Charles Pierce. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very, very good. He had a great quote about the NHL that was just paraphrased, basically said best fans Best game, and man, last night was a good example. Four overtime games, they all yeah. had multi-goal leads blown. It was incredible, an incredible uh, just night viewing hockey, sitting in front of the TV. But it's so poorly run that not a lot of people even know how great it is. If the NBA had, can you imagine if the first round of the NBA playoffs came back at, at you and said, hey, last night we had four overtime games with leads basically blown in all those games, ESPN would be talking about it for the next 72 hours. They'd be calling it the greatest sports day to ever happen. That's exactly right. Um, 
Let me give you let me give you an example when it comes to this Wild Blues series where I think there is a uh, there is a, a really good example of where things went wrong. It's not game one. Game one actually the Wild played well. Second period there have been two periods in the first three games that have disappointed me greatly in uh, the uh, Wild. The first one is the second period on Friday. Explain this to me. So the Wild is getting frustrated by yo and i get it okay good tactics it happens but in the second period of that game it wasn't a quit it was a frustration and they start to run around the ice and decide we're going to even the score with the blues which is exactly what reeves yo and the blues want right and your guy chris stewart's out there like a maniac getting out of position trying to start fights all of this crap and after the game boudreaux says I don't understand that wasn't our style all year. It shouldn't be now, or I don't get why it is now. Anyway, my point being, that was a stupid period of hockey that tipped the hand. It showed St. Louis that what you're doing is working perfectly, and you've been um, a guy who's who's criticized Chris Stewart all year long. What the hell are they thinking? What, What are you doing at that point? If that's not your style, where's Jordan Schrader, and why are you doing that? Why... Do you not play Jordan Schrader or Joel Erickson Eck? You're two guys who have skill and can produce when you're not scoring. I mean, you're not getting beat up. I don't think in this series that they've just been pummeled. I've seen other series in the past where you go, oh man, they're they're going to spend some time in the infirmary when they're done with this because they just got whooped. And in th- that was not the case in this series. They're not. I mean, I'm watching Jared Spurgeon do a great job of using his body to create room against guys and, and play along the walls and, and play well and control the puck, which is, I think, the best way to stay out of some of that stuff is just have the puck and be playing offense all the time. Sure. And in this case, they, they just haven't gotten themselves beat up. So why did you need to go to Ryan White and why keep Chris Stewart in the lineup? Chris Stewart is not a good National Hockey League player. He ha- he never has been, but he is especially not good now. He scored a few nice goals during the regular season, but did he really produce a whole lot? I mean, and not only that, but one of the worst in terms of shot differential. He consistently makes mistakes with the puck. He gets out of position. He doesn't play his defensive game very well. These are things that Chris Stewart has done for an entire career. And so you have this young player in Erickson Eck who came over at the end of the season, showed that he had made progress, that he's a high-end talented prospect. You don't have him in the game. And then Ryan White. Ryan White is a nothing. He's an AHL player. He is a... Just not an NHL I, playoff caliber player. I'm just confused. And Jordan Schrader had produced during the regular season, has offensive gifts. Why is he not in the game? What confuses me is the the head coach basically criticized his own team for not playing their style in game two. Okay, I get that. But then you dress white for game right. three, which takes you. So now, if I'm not mistaken, you had white and Stewart both playing in that game. So now you're giving in. You're going towards what the Blues want even more. Mm-hmm. And, right, because they can match you and do that better. And the other thing I don't get is this. So um, in game two, there, there was a situation. In fact, the Blues uh, scored their second goal in game two on a four-on-four. I thought a four-on-four should favor Minnesota. I thought for sure, okay, four-on-four, speed. Four speed, you're going to use your speed. But they're like, oh, we're not as good four-on-four. That one amazes me. I would think that you would welcome open ice because – the game two, the St. Louis defense, 
646-6264. So I would think speed would be great. Um, I'm just confused, but I was really confused by the fact that you would, in the second period, start to start to run around and play dumb. And then the period that absolutely infuriated me was the first period on Sunday. I don't get how you're down 2 nothing and you come out and play that mm-hmm. horse bleep appear. I mean, there was no excuse for that. That was awful. There were, you came out, and the, the uh, broadcasters brought it up about five times, rightfully so. But how do you come out on the road? And I know it's on the road, so it's a tough game. I get it. But you're you got veteran players. You're down two nothing, and you come out, and it's not that you played a poor period. You played a a period that made no sense. Mm-hmm. That so the two periods that I really question and I don't get second period on Friday for sure, and then the first period in game three I thought was inexcusable, inexcusable. And Ryan Suter on Sunday, I, I don't get that one either. I mean, Ryan Suter has had a very good. Norris Trophy-like season, but on Sunday, he was awful. That's as bad as I've seen him play in probably two years. And him on the power play just has not really been there in this this series. It never has been for him. That's a thing where, and this happens all over every sport, uh, where maybe, say, a linebacker who was good plays more than he should because he's a veteran and he's been around and just won't mention any names when we talk about that. Um, Suter on the power play, it's because you're Ryan Suter, so you're on the power play. Right. Are there better players who have more offensive gifts who could be on the power play? Is there a situation where you should have Jared Spurgeon and four forwards on the power play? It was good, but it wasn't amazing during the regular season, so maybe you could ask that question. Um, the f- Going 0 for, what are they, 0 for 10 in the three games? Yeah, I think the Blues have one power play goal in the series so far. Yeah, is that right? And, and they're going 0 for 10. That's, that's unusual for this team that would score about two out of every 10. But again, with... Oh, no, no, no. They've got one, but it was a five on three on Friday night in game two. Oh, okay. Sorry about that. Right. Yeah. But I mean, five on three is a gift. So, Is there any chance they come back? I mean... No. Okay. I, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I mean, if, but let's just say this. Could they though. win on Wednesday and, and get a game or two? Absolutely. Could it, they come all the way back and play essentially what amounts to four game sevens and become, what, the fifth team in 186 chances? Is, is that right? Blackhawks are down 3 nothing. Penguins are up 3 nothing. I don't think so. I don't think so either. But if you were going to pick a team to do it, if you, were, if you looked at the first three games out of all of those that ever played – would you say it'd be the one that just completely destroyed the other team on the shot counter uh, and had the puck for the I entire told you time? This on, I would say yes. I to- told you this on the show today. Here's my theory. If you were to run a search on goaltenders who aren't Brodeur or Dryden, but goaltenders who have gotten incredibly hot, and they're good goaltenders but not great goaltenders, and, and then it, it gets to be midnight and Cinderella comes and the slipper's gone – I think you find that that ordinarily happens in the next series or a series after that one. It would really surprise me if Allen all of a sudden becomes mortal for four consecutive games in the same series. I'd be surprised. I'm Now, it would not surprise me if in the second or third round he cools off a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think you would find if you did a search on guys who are doing what he's done previously, the cool-off period ordinarily comes when a series comes to an end, not in the midst of that series. Total guess on on my part, but it feels that way. I would say this about Allen, though, that he is a pretty inexperienced goalie, and his past playoffs have been quite bad. Oh, yeah. And even you go back and look at the AHL, his playoffs were bad even when he was one of those big-time prospects. 
if you got two wins against him in this series, one of them he got chased or lit up, let's say this next game they get five on him, maybe it could get in his head. That's the only, I'm not saying that that's likely. I'm saying that's the only way that it could happen if he allows a couple yeah. of bad goals and it gets inside his brain. But as you said before we started, the key to the Allen conversation is this hot streak started when Yo yes. and then Martin Brodeur became his goaltending coach. If this had, if he had had, if his regular season had been either bad or he had just improved a little bit, but he's been on top of his game for months now. So I don't see him coming back down to earth that quickly. If this was a three-game snapshot, I would agree completely. Um, but it, it is interesting just re regarding his playoff failures. If you look at 2015, when the Wild beat the Blues in six games, in game five, I believe he played the entire game and had like a 70-something save percentage. The Blues lost that game. And in game six, he got yanked. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, he has bottomed out before but anyway it just seems like with the system that yo's put in front of him and broder's coaching they found something and i don't know if it's long term or not but it's working big time and the fact that it's been so long now it's been months it's hard to see him crashing that that badly i mean it'd be fun to see it if you're a wild fan but it's hard to see it. i wouldn't put any money on it what no. a frustrating thing well this, this was supposed to be a long this, run right this was supposed to be and everything's set up to be that way, and now Chicago looks like they're going to get knocked out, so you would have had a chance against Nashville. It would have been a good matchup, two teams that play high pace. Now here we are. Give me your uh, assessment of the Boudreaux practice lines for Wednesday's Game 4. We have, by the way, separated for the first time since Thanksgiving, I believe, uh, Koivu and Granlund. The lines, the first three lines right now are... Stahl with Granlin on the right and Coyle on the left. Hansel with Zucker on the left and Pominville on the right. Koivu reunited with Parisi. Not a huge fan of that. No. And Nino, uh, I would guess the Parisi is still on the right wing there. Halla is questionable. He, he got hurt late in the second period of game two. He played in game three. Uh, so he's questionable. But anyway, so Stahl, Hansel, and Koivu lines. And as I said, the big news would be that Granlin and Koivu have been separated for the first time in months. Does it matter at this point? I, I mean, I don't know. Whatever. I mean, you're I mean, he, the panic it's just one of those things that the coach has to do something. Like we saw this when they hit the skids in March, where it was like, Boudreaux, I'm, I'm not going to make major changes to the lines, and then I am after we lose one more game, and I'm not going to play Dubnik, and then he has a bad game. Well, I guess I am going to play. It's just it's kind of what coaches have to do, but. If it's if it were me, well, of course you heard my lines at the beginning. They wouldn't have had Chris Stewart or Ryan White involved. Right. Uh, I would have gone all scores against the team that plays great defense uh, in the Blues. But I think I would just stick with the lines that were totally crushing the other team in the shot attempts. Schrader and, plays to, in Game Four for me for sure. Oh no, I question. get him in there. He would I mean, have, he's got he speed. He would have been in the whole series for me. I just that that one confuses me. Like if you want to come out with. If you want to bring the speed to St. Louis, why you don't play him? And I get the fact that he's not consistent and can drive you crazy, but welcome to this team as a whole, right? I mean, this team as a whole has how many guys who are inconsistent and drive you crazy? Charlie Coyle, Nino, Granlin can do it. So it's not like all the other younger players are these bastions of, oh my gosh, we get consistency. Okay, Jordan Schrader, you want to bench him for... A line change? That's fine. But, yeah, this one confuses me.
All right. Well, we'll see if there's any chance that they can come back. <laughs> One way or the other, we will be back with Matt and Judd's Hockey Adventure, and uh, maybe we'll, at that point, be talking much more about the off season, way too soon, Judd. And this has been a great playoffs too. I've had a lot of fun, oh, and yet every time the Wild have played, it has been a punch in the gut. We have to do, but we, but you're right. We have to do a podcast specifying what's wrong with this sport. We can't fix it, but we've got so many from television to on ice rules to Gary Bettman being a bozo. There are so <laughs> many things to talk about when it when it comes to what's wrong with the sport. And how do you have four overtime games last night and no one's talking about them because it's hockey. Perfect reason to uh, stay tuned to Matt and Judd's Hockey Adventure Idiot. in the future. We'll talk to you again soon. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday. And as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget, BetOnline for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts.